So welcome to the second edition of Omen to That, the, shall we say, rather sporadic series of musings and chit-chat, although I don't tend to do much chitting, because what's the point if you're chatting? Um, I'm Damien Edwardson, I'm one half of the Art92 studio, and I'm the creator of Galaxy Grappling Alliance, and on today's show, I'll be discussing some old-school wrestling. Thanks to everyone who fed back to us about the first episode. It was much appreciated. And thank you to all those who submitted questions for today's show, some of which we're going to be discussing over the next hour or so. And I'm pleased to say, taking on some of the uh, advice I was given about, can we listen to more than just you waffle on? I've got two other people to waffle on with me. I've got a couple of heavyweights from the independent comic scene. My first guest is the host of the highly respected Awesome Comic Podcast, Creator of the Red Mask from Mars, Indigo Park, the webcomic Black. Most recently, he's been announced as the art editor for the new Millsverse comic Space Warp. He's a busy boy indeed. From parts unknown, it's none other than Vivacious Vince Hunt. Oh yeah! <laughs> uh, well, come on, you know, you knew this was happening. Uh, hello, everyone. <laughs> and uh, my second guest. To make up our triple threat match, which sounds a lot cleaner than saying we're having a three-way, is the acclaimed artist, writer, raconteur, best known for his work such as Plan A, Plan B, one of my actual all-time favourites, which is The Taxi, and most recently, The King. Yes, it's the fan of all things Frank Sidebottom. From Death Valley's Wales, I give you... John the Coward Tucker. Hello, nice to be here. My uh, catchphrase is uh, don't hit me because it gives me an erection. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what's your finisher? Um, uh, rolling out like, of the ring fatly. I thought you were going to say it was a bit like the Big Daddy Splash then. Uh, All that. Either's fine. Yeah. Look, this is workshopping. Either's fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, welcome both and thanks for, for giving up your time. As we record this, we're in the midst of the lockdown for the covid19 situation still so um I'm sure, I'm sure there's been a pay-per-view called lockdown at some point there must have been there should be i did think that i, I read somewhere that they were on about introducing a character called covid at some point oh god and i'm looking forward to the the uh the sort of you know shall we say the onslaught of the the covid uh books and comics and films and miniseries and things no doubt we'll fall out of this. this oh, I, I, I personally think I've seen some people on Twitter saying oh, I've written a great lockdown script and, you know, like a lockdown romantic comedy and all this other stuff. I think it's very bold to assume that anybody's going to want to read or think about this in the, in the years <laughs> yeah. after it's finished. Yeah. Like, like what year did the film Pearl Harbor come out? It was like, was it like 99? Like yeah. it wasn't 1946, was it? Like, come on. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah, true. it's not exactly the summer of 69, is it? Right now. No, exactly. <laughs> okay so uh let's get back to business then let's let's put all things covid and and lockdown behind us and let's concentrate on some good old-fashioned squared circle action yeah so the first thing that that you know i think maybe we, we'd like to talk about is uh what's your wrestling story so how did you get into it um you know and, and why did you love it or do you still love it um and we'll start with you vince if that's all right yeah yeah that's fine um i think um when did i start i 
it's like um, my comics reading. I'm not quite. I can't exactly remember a time when. Oh yeah, I saw this and then I was hooked from the beginning because I was very. When I was a kid, it was. Um, I, th- I think I probably caught a bit of it when my brothers were watching a bit. But of course, the American wrestling was difficult to see unless you had like Sky TV or something like that. Um, but I was still aware of it, and I. That was in the days where. Um, I think when I pro- it properly kicked in, I was probably about eight, no, about, about nine and ten, I think, eight, nine, ten. Um, obviously, like, for me, I think it properly kicked in and became a, a huge sort of obsession at one point, um, around the time when I was about ten years old, um, and the sticker albums and and everything, and, the, and because my... Um, one of the characters I loved at the time was the Ultimate Warrior, who was I was I was a huge. Yeah. I mean, and I think a, a lot of it does in some ways ties back to my love of comic books because yeah, yeah, like for instance, the WWF at the time was very much they were all cartoon characters sort of come to life, and uh, the Ultimate Warrior is very much sort of like when I was a kid, he he just looked cool and was cool. Um, I, I, it's it's interesting how my so <laughs> how i think now back to when mm. i was a kid i still have hugely fond memories of it and like the action figures um because that was at the time sort of wrestlemania 6 kind of time and um 1990 and stuff when that yeah, was that was the yeah. booming period for me um and it was just it was just cool when i was a kid and I, and I still um i sort of as i got older i checked it out a bit less then got back into it again and then off. it was sort of on off sort of relationship but and and i'm currently i'm I'm still very much sort of into my wrestling and and checking it out but but now it's it's more of a sort of wider spectrum of things you know with all the the worldwide stuff and i don't really go too much on the main stream sort of wwe stuff that's that's a little yeah to me but the rest of it's really interesting so i've still you know i'm checking wrestling site news and i'm always up to date with it and watching interviews or documentaries and stuff on youtube etc so yeah i'm um as soon as from a kid when i got into it probably from about eight eight years old i've been a fan of wrestling since so interesting it was i mean i was thinking about this when i was preparing for today and um it's a fine line between that kind of 80s wrestling you know late 70s 80s through to probably yeah 90s and comics it's a it's a really fine line and yeah and i think one of the things that that the wwf as it were and wwe now got right is they they appeal to that childhood fascination with things that were larger than life that some of us thankfully carry on with you know we yeah. we, we still love that don't we you know that yeah it's brighter than normal it's louder than normal it's bigger than normal uh, and yeah and they were yeah hugely awesome. colorful characters i mean you don't and when you're a little kid you don't think at the time you know about oh they're, they're good wrestler you know technically sound or, or this that and the other it was, it was more about the presentation the way it was it, it, even like you know the, the racial insensitivity of some of it of which there yeah. was quite a fair bit when you're a little kid you that didn't you know i didn't notice that at the time do you know what i mean i wasn't thinking at eight years old you know how some of them, like getting a like oh, is it a keen the american dream something like that yeah i when i was an eight-year-old kid i just thought he was rubbish i didn't yeah. think oh that's a bit insensitive yeah. um and you know and around that time as well you had the you had the 
cartoony sort of characters but they they got the balance right in a certain sense and i think just after like the 90s and stuff when you started getting i don't know what was it someone's a dentist someone's a dustman then it then it goes too far and it's almost a parody and and then no one cared anymore whereas there was i i think around you know between sort of 87 to about probably 91 there was there was a decent balance of wrestling to looking like well not athletes but you know what i mean it's not do you know what yeah. I mean they weren't they weren't yeah. all cartoon complete cartoons so yeah it was just, it was just fun I loved Great it stuff. yeah how about you John um yeah my, my story is pretty similar to Vince um I got in um around the time I was about 10 years old so this would have been about um 97 98 um we had uh, WCW as part of our NTL cable package, wow. which was uh, new in Barry at the time. Um, <laughs> I, I did watch some. I, I do remember watching some WWF, um, but my main thing was was WCW. That's what that's what got me into wrestling, and and also I kind of got into wrestling the same sort of time that like we got like an internet capable computer, which was. You know, like, you know, because I, I, I joke often that I'm one of the last people who remembers life before the Internet because a lot of people born after me don't remember, like, pre-ubiquitous Internet. But um, so, like, you know, I started going on the Internet and, and this was like back in the Wild West of the Internet when there was like <laughs> chat rooms and message boards and fan websites. And there wasn't just the four websites that we've got now. So I was online. I was talking about wrestling constantly. I was collecting the action figures. It was, you know, like the late nineties when you're 10, I think like 10 years old is kind of like the ideal time to sort of like really latch on to wrestling. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I was online talking about it constantly and everything, um, collected all the figures, you know, it was a really good time to be a wrestling fan. Um, and I stuck with it until I think it was about like two thousand. Like WCW folded in two thousand and one, and then uh, the WWE blew the invasion. And oh, I thought, uh, yeah. you know, like okay, never mind. And I just, you know, I started getting into other things and all the rest of it. Um, I sort of circled back around uh, in sort of like the twenty tens, like when I was in my twenties. Um, I circled back around because um, CM Punk was doing really good work in the WWE. And um, I started watching a lot of um, a lot of the shoot tapes, so like interviews with people who were like behind the scenes back in the 90s, yeah. and you know, and they were really there, and they were saying, you know, um, I remember Dick the Bruiser, and Dick the Bruiser was a piece of shit, you know, <laughs> they were just like slagging each other off on these videotapes <laughs> yeah. that were just recorded in their houses, and like the king of those was Jim Cornette, and you know, I I really I I, I love Jim Cornette. I still love him now. I've been to see him live. He's one of the best comedians not even wrestlers but one of the I best comedians I was just listening I, I do listen to YouTube clips because he's got his podcast hasn't he yeah, yeah the Jim Cornette li- experience which yeah. is a wonderful show yeah um, he doesn't he doesn't care does he um, he doesn't give a shit and I, and I just watch sometimes just five minute clips about him just discussing something that's relevant at the time or a bit of news or whatever and it's always hilarious in some way <laughs> yeah exactly but then like through through getting into Jim Cornette that's how I sort of I I almost sort of like doubled back on myself because through Jim Cornette, I started because he is like Mr. Old School. Like, yeah, ah, wrestling today is all a bunch of outlaw mud show bullshit. And uh, the only good wrestling was back in Memphis and back in Louisville Gardens back in the 1970s <laughs> and 80s. Right. So yeah. I started because you can get the old like the Jim Cornette's like rookie year DVD on his website. So I bought that and I was watching like old Memphis and Louisville shows from that Lawler was running in the 70s and 80s. But um, yeah, now I mean, I don't. I don't watch the product live anymore. Like I'm not really up to date on it. Um, I did go and see NXT a few years ago. 
um, when it came through Cardiff, and that was really interesting. Um, but I think, uh, to me, like the politics of wrestling is kind of more interesting than the actual product now, if you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah, yeah. So like things like Dark Side of the Ring, I think that's I think a lot of people feel that way, and I think that is why things like Dark Side of the Ring are. Um, you know have that sort of mainstream appeal because because now that we're living in like the post kayfabe world and mm. you know the business has been completely and utterly exposed i think the the sort of like the the complex political structure of professional wrestling is actually more intriguing than totally and, and, and also there's so much it is very much like especially those old school days like yeah. I say, those shoot tapes and stuff, they've all got different opinions. So the water is oh, so yeah. so muddy about a lot of it that it, you know, like the the ribs that they were plowing each other become urban legend because like one person saw it but another person didn't. Or you know, it, it's it's so interesting sort of watching those sort of tapes of people just going, oh that person was a bastard. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yeah. but I it's mean, also I, really it, it's also really interesting to look back on those because you know if if you got into into wrestling in like the nineties as like you know Vince did at the beginning and I sort of go into at the end, um the the line was kind of blurring you know they were there was a, yeah. a few shoots on TV and they were like letting the curtain slip just a little bit. Yeah. yeah but you know you listen to these old shoot tapes because i was watching one with roddy piper who you know like i think is one of the great talkers the of all time yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. like a yeah. true original like yeah. and he was talking about when he used to go to um mexico and puerto rico and wrestle and um he used to go out and play the bagpipes and he went out in mexico where they <laughs> hated his guts and he said to make amends i am now going to play the mexican national anthem please stand and they all stood and he played la cucaracha on the bagpipes <laughs> and the police had to escort him to his hotel because they were ready to kill him you know yeah. and you think my god do you know what i mean like it was it was a hundred percent real to to people back then yeah and it's inconceivable now to think about it the way the way the business is and the way it's being discussed now but i, I just mean, think like flair and the four horsemen yeah yeah it, totally because like the the four horsemen and like the you know flair and dusty roads and stuff Oh, they were yeah. literally they were literally there's that famous one of when they were in a cage and like rick flair turned I, th- I think he turned heel and the rest of the horsemen came in and they realized that they couldn't get out of the they had to keep the cage yeah. door closed because so many people wanted to come in and kill them because they thought that they had broken dusty Rhodes' leg yeah you know it's it's crazy i mean the thing is now it now it's just people um just slagging other people off on uh, twitter aren't they and just just trolling yeah, people yeah. all the time. It's yeah. interesting. It's interesting, guys, because I, I got into wrestling obviously earlier than YouTube, um, just because I'm a lot older than YouTube, unfortunately. Mm. So I started watching British wrestling when, in the late 70s when I was yeah. a kid. Because my dad, you know, World of Sport and stuff. And, and I mean, my favourite was uh, The Amazing Kung Fu. And he didn't get a lot of TV time, but I used to look because me and my brother were obsessed with Kung Fu at the time. And yeah. um, we'd spend hours kicking the shit out of each other in the back garden. And, <laughs> you know, I started to just love it. And now I can still remember, you know, my dad had shout me in because it, it was on, I think, just after or just before the football scores. And um, he'd call me, the wrestling's on. And we'd come and sit and we'd watch it. And that, that's where my first love came from. Mm. And I used to see quite a lot of it live when we, because. Um, over the course of a few years, we ended up moving to North Wales, and my dad would work as a bouncer in a in a holiday camp. Um, believe oh, it or not, me that must have been rough. And, yeah, <laughs> that, that's got some titles, I tell you. But, uh, yeah, North Wales, Liverpool minimum security prison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. But um, <laughs> so we used to watch. They used to come round and do the shows quite a lot, 
um, you know, on, on kind of afternoons, and you know, you, they'd be in there. You'd, you, you know, you used to help them put the rings up and stuff like that. And it was, it was a peek behind the curtain. But even then, it was just a fascinating business. You know, yeah, you, yeah. you, I had a sense of it even as a kid that, you know, I knew it wasn't real. As in, when people say it's not real, we'll come on to this in a moment. But I knew it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, a, a genuine fight. But actually, it didn't stop me from getting completely engrossed in it. Yeah. at all yeah you know it just didn't and and i found when i i kind of got into um the wwf would have been around about the mid to late 80s started yeah because i remember um like well, like you say that world of wrestling which was sort of prime time saturday um yeah sort of saturday afternoon wasn't it um, and the viewing numbers on that were just ridiculous yeah and it was always like you'd you'd have like british wrestling most of it and then you'd have one week where they'd have just an episode of WWF or something like that. They, they, it was just like superstars or something like that, yeah. just out of nowhere. And it was like buying the comics when you have no continuity. All of a sudden, you just get a shot in the arm of like, what's this? Yeah. Yeah. You know. And the contrast between the two was phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm reading a book at the moment um, called Have a Good Week Till Next Week by John Lister. There's a load of... Um, kind of mini biographies he's done of, of wrestlers, um, British wrestlers of the TV era, you know, Adrian Street, oh. like that. And it's really, really good read. But it's when you go through the titles of some of the wrestlers, you, you do realise, touching on the bit you said about the racial ins- insensitivities, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm a couple of pages off reading about kid chocolate. So, um, you know, oh, you can imagine. Oh, God. It, it's, it's a completely different world. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, I'm sure a lot of the, uh, the the sort of stuff that they did back then we we wouldn't allow now. It was a it was a great product. It was just a different product. I mean the American stuff appeared. Jesus Christ! Like you yeah. say, it was almost like superheroes becoming real for the first time. You know, you were like, what the hell is this? It's like the first time I ever saw the NFL, and I can remember thinking, what the what's this? Yeah, I loved it that that time like especially like when you can contrast like the, the british wrestling which is a lot more like theatrical like came from the carnivals and you know um and you know no one looked like anybody on the wwf um like a lot of that is because i like, you know at the time as the wwf was nationalizing and like the the territories were you know it was transitioning from a territorial system to this yeah. one national conglomerate every territory had people that looked like giant haystacks and big daddy and all the rest of it but Vince would just go in and pick their three best-looking yeah. guys and their biggest draws. So they said, right, we're going to take uh, Hogan from Florida. We're going to take so and so from Memphis. We're going to take, you know, p- picked off the best. And like, and this is why, like, I think like the territories going away did hurt the business in the long run because yeah. there wasn't, you know, th- there wasn't all these sort of local styles and all these local schools that could bring people up they would all be different and then you'd have these different styles clashing in the ring it all became like this homogenized yeah. you know blob you know so like yeah. everybody's training to you know to, uh, now you know people are looking to either get you know maybe looking to get on AEW, which is a bit more of the old school presentation but i think the territories going away um did hurt the yeah, I don't think you'd get another like 1988 again now. You know, no. where you'd have no. all these huge, colourful characters coming in who all look different and work different. I don't think you'd ever get that again now. Yeah, mm. yeah. No, I think you're right. And and you know, the expansion of cable TV is what drove that, didn't it? You know, yeah. because you couldn't see wrestling shows outside of your own local stations. And then 
as soon as Vince McMahon cottoned on that cable TV would allow you to, you know, you could record a show in New York and broadcast it in LA. That's yeah. when he, he, he apparently started to to want to basically just become the only show in town, you know, which, as we but, know, for a time yeah. he did. You know. And 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 you know, and he had the money to do um, paid TV because I remember Jim Cornette talking about it, where he had a TV agreement um, in the territories in the 80s, where the TV station would pay them, uh, I think it was like a thousand dollars for the for the tape to play the wrestling, and they come in one week and they say we're not running your show anymore, and he said why not? He said because Vince McMahon sends us a tape and a check for two thousand dollars. Yeah, he pays mm-hmm. us to run the tape because it's all advertised. He says right, here's a check, here's a tape, run it. You know, and yeah. he could do that everywhere because he had the money. And I've just read a book about uh, Vince McMahon as well, and and his kind of you know he's an interesting character. He's not particularly, I say oh God, yeah. not particularly mm. likable, but you know you got to give credit where it's due. Um, as far as he he kind of had some quite revolutionary ideas, and one of them was he, he got a guy when they first started recording the the new WWF because they dropped one of the W's. He didn't want the TV shows to look like the usual presentation of wrestling, where they would just go into a hall and film it, yeah. I mean, like the UK style. He actually got a guy in from Hollywood who'd been, you know, he worked on loads of motion pictures and sort of like, oh, I want it to look like a yeah. film. Yeah. And I don't think you can even do that. And he's like, no, I, you know, I, that's what I want. And that's the, when they first heard that, and it was done in the style where, you know, with the, with the cut to the angle shots and everything else, yeah. people just lost their minds. That must have been amazing to see. Yeah. It, yeah. But then, I mean, and you can see that evolution in what it's like now because, like, you know, they've hired in lots of people that don't really know that TV writers rather than sort yeah, of anyone yeah, yeah. to do with wrestling. And, like, so n- none of it really works. They're doing scripted promos and things like that. It's just, and it's just really dull. And so it's, it's no wonder that, you know, the mainstream product, not many people were watching. Never, never mind putting on WrestleMania at this time of year. Jesus. Oh, oh that's, but that's, that's another topic. <laughs> Well, on that on that uh, that controversial note, um, yeah. uh, let's let's just move on to the next question we have because I'm interested to know a little bit about you guys uh, that you've told me your history with, with wrestling. So the next question I gave you was babyface or heel. What's mm-hmm. your preference? So you know of all the wrestlers that that you know you kind of um, admired or or enjoyed watching, did you find that you tended to lean one way or the other? Um, I think it evolved as I got older. I, I, I think when I was a kid, the baby faces were the, were the cool ones. And, and you know, or they, as they were certainly presented to be like cooler. And as I got older and just the heels just became more fun, really. If, if they're done right, mm. there's just a, a heel is just an amazing character. It's, it's certainly something that, you know, if you were a wrestler, I can imagine it would be so much. Unless you had an absolutely enormous following when everything you do everyone screams their head off um but a baby face is a lot harder work than, than a heel i would imagine because you could have so much fun just being horrible being a right bastard um but uh, but in these this day and age you can do it and then not worry about i don't know a stadium full of people trying to murder you <laughs> yeah or someone dipping a knife in pig fat and stabbing you with it so you get infected which apparently happened yeah. to uh, I remember reading Mick Foley's autobiography, and he said that happened to somebody when he was even. That's even when he was working in like WCW yeah. in the early nineties. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even up yeah. to then, people were taking it seriously. Yeah. Well, do you remember yeah. the? Um, do you remember when Roddy Piper started wearing his black leather jacket? Yes. And, yeah. it was, and uh, I was reading his book, and he was saying this. Ninety two. Yeah. 
Yeah, it would have been around, yeah. And uh, the guy was travelling with him, and he sort of just passed me my jacket. So he gets all the pipe his jacket, and he goes, Jesus Christ, you know, this is heavy. What have you got in your pocket? And he went, no, it's, it's Kevlar lined. Yeah. Because he got stabbed that many times. He'd had enough yeah. of it. And yeah. somebody once said to him, like, you know, did it hurt when you got stabbed? And he went, yeah, all three of them. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's, that was back, like you say, the early 90s. You know, yeah. and it's like, gee, and it still apparently goes on. I mean, I was watching um, an interview with the, with uh, the big show the other week. He was just uh, just chatting about his career and stuff. And of course, they first started to promote him as the son of Andre the Giant because of his oh, size, God, yeah. which mm. he, you know, and he said I felt a bit weird about it. You know, and he was quite glad when he could shake that off. But apparently, when he still goes down into the southern states, they still come up to him and go, "Oh, I loved you. I loved your work, and I loved your dad as well, Andre." And he said they still, you know, yeah. they still live in this this bubble where they believe it's real. They genuinely still believe it's real. And, yep. you know, it's just a good job they can't carry guns, isn't it, really? No, just. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so, I mean, you're right. I mean, the heels, are, it's a bit like comics again, isn't it? You know, the, a, a bad guy is always a joy to read. Yeah. And, yeah. and you would think yeah. a joy to write. Um, I was I was always a fan like of of characters of both sides though, I think. Um, you know, if they were cool characters or they were wrestlers that I thought they were quite cool. You know, it, like a, a good heel isn't the same if they turn babyface and it, it just doesn't yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, it just doesn't work as well, does it? Yeah, I I I think it depends on the person. Like when I mm. when I was a kid and I was like a true mark, like I loved, you know, all the faces, like Sting, Goldberg and all that. I loved all them. But yeah. even then, like I loved watching like Chris Jericho and Bobby Heenan mm. and they were, they were meant to be heels. Right. But they were just so naturally like funny and charismatic. You just couldn't help but like them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And and now as an adult, I, I think, I think I appreciate like a good heel performance a lot more now because it's so rare in like the post kayfabe world to be a really, to be a good, and not like a heel that's like winking at the, the audience. Like, Oh, you know, you and I know what's going on, but yeah. to actually get, heat to the point that like i think it is at the point now where like, the only way to do it is to play on people's like real animosities so like yeah. cm cm punk did it right because he was acting as this pious like i'm straight edge and straight edge means i'm better than you because there's nothing americans hate more than being told you're living your life wrong right yeah. <laughs> and and the, the other person i think has really got it right and i think it's probably one of the best heels of the past decades is john cena right mm. because he's the only one who's managed to keep a foot in both camps like the kids love him but the smart marks hate his guts and he's managed mm. to play both groups perfectly right so he's still the face of the company he does all the make-a-wish visits and the kids love him but when he needs to he gets this white heat like i don't know if either of you saw um money in the bank 2011 like cm punk's contract oh, was expiring oh, that night that's it was that's in chicago amazing. that's an amazing match actually and they, they booed him out of the building. There was signs saying, if Cena wins, we riot, right? So Because the, there's people who say, oh, you know, I'd like to see a John Cena heel turn, and they'll never get it, right? They've had heel John Cena for years, and the WWE isn't going to make the mistake, because they made that mistake with Steve Austin, where they turned him heel, and people were like, oh, we just don't want to see it, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And the fans hated it, and they just got the wrong kind of heat, you know? Um, but yeah, yeah. I think John Cena has played it a blinder, I think. I think he's done really well in managing he's also, to be... He, he's also aware, and, and he wears he wears the booze well, if you know what I mean. You know, he, he's the sort of character that is like, yeah, you can boo me if you want, that's fine. 
Yeah, because yeah. Like, and he yeah. does that for the kids to whom he is a hero. But mm. being like that just brings more booze from the other side, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think he's done it masterfully. I think he's a, he's been very very smart about it. Yeah. And I tell you, going back a, a probably a generation before, the the guy that was the equivalent of that for me would have been Ted DiBiase when he did the Million Dollar yes. Man stuff. Mm. Because God, I can remember that's a, that's I a pure heel. Hated him. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that, that's also a guy. You could never make him babyface. How no. could you? How could you make no, that you character? Never. It's impossible. I mean, the clip of him, like, was it? He's he's giving a kid a basketball and he's got to bounce it like ten times or something. Oh, it was brilliant! Yeah. And on the yeah. night, and if if the kid gets the ball like ten times, then he'll give him a hundred dollars. And yeah. on the now, ninth bounce, Ted DiBiase kicks the ball away. Yeah. It's just he doesn't perfect. kick it. He this, shoes it, doesn't he? You know, he and then then laughs in the kid's it. face. Yeah. That's, it's phenomenal. It was there's a whole series of those on that they did these yeah. vignettes when they were bringing him in, yeah. and he was just superb. I mean, he, yeah. I absolutely despised him. Um, yeah. I think I some, really of the, some of the best characters are heels, and and certainly there are some wrestlers that I you know I can't remember seeing the baby face, or you wouldn't want to see them turn baby face. Like someone like Rick Rude, um, no. amazing, amazing heel. Do you know what I mean? And, and and as a kid. Um, obviously he was in a few with the Ultimate Warrior at the time so it's like oh I don't like yeah. Rick Rude but even though he was still kind of cool in his own way but a- as an adult at that time to have a guy come out and basically say to all of the guys in, in the <laughs> stadium your wife wants to sleep with me yeah, uh, yeah. you know what I mean <laughs> well, he's probably not wrong what I'd like to have right now is for all you fat, out of shape, Midwest meatheads, keep the noise down while I take my robe off and show you what a real sexy man is supposed to look like. Hit the music. Yeah, it's quite funny, Rick Rude, because uh, he's an interesting guy himself, and and mm. you know, as with most of these tragically short lives yeah you know, through one thing or another and you know but that was the business mm. um but no I, I absolutely adored rick rude i thought he was he was tremendous but the thing that he dbrc people like that and and cena you know people who flirt with the heel stuff the one thing that they could do they could carry it off because they could work you know they could oh, yeah. wrestle and sell you know they would because part that's, of being a heel i is think that that's one of the sell. most important thing about it you have to make and one of the wrestlers i'm going to mention that later in one of the later questions one of my all-time mm. favorites is one of the best at making uh, the, the other people that are with them look like a million dollars even if they can't do anything at all i think i mean have we got the same person v we'll we'll, we'll, we'll I see think we have the same person Next one, yeah uh, yeah you only have to watch one rick rude where he takes an atomic drop to realize how good he was at selling you yeah. know and kurt hennig mr perfect was another one just could just sell Anything. Yeah, and he yeah. he was another shooter as well because he gave Brock Lesnar a kicking on a plane, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> brilliant. Okay, so I think I think we're all kind of erring to the side of heel there, which doesn't surprise me knowing you two. But um, you know, <laughs> well, we appreciate the baby face, you know. And yeah. and I must admit, the next question will probably draw out where I have a bit of a, a conflict between that and then my two choices kind of straddle both sides of the fence. So, mm-hmm. so the next question is actually. 
Who is your GOAT in wrestling terms? Who's your greatest of all time? And I'll let you have one of each if you want a heel and Ooh. a baby face. Oh, no, okay. Do. Okay, okay. Well, we did just mention um, his name just came up. Um, for my, it's not, I know greatest of all time is such a moniker, isn't it? It's such a, you know, you can mention, I, there's some names that are obviously, you know, they're the Mount Rushmore's. But, I would have to pick like probably my favorite wrestler now um, who's no longer with us and um, I, Kurt Hennig aka mm. Mr. Perfect um, he was awesome uh, <laughs> and I, I as I got older I realized how good he was I, uh, he wasn't my immediately my favorite I thought he looked quite cool at the time because obviously he had like the perfect record and like you know the amazing vignettes he did before yeah. he even debuted as just some they're hilarious as well there was he was brilliant on the on the mic when he had to do commentary because he hurt his back and obviously he did that you know he was with Ric Flair when Ric Flair came in um if you hear anyone talking about like some of the best wrestlers that have been and they ask them who was the your favorite person to wrestle against they would say Kurt Hennig without a doubt yeah. because he yeah. would make you he, he would make you look you know amazing um and you know that goes from like Bret Hart, who's obviously a, a brilliant technical wrestler, um, doesn't always have the personality, but those two would have amazing matches. And also, when you see the clips now, you know, I say I say I like the Ultimate Warrior when I was a kid. Now I can't watch any of his matches because he can't wrestle. No, he's, he's a just, shit. He, he was he's, he's shit. He's just brutal. I mean, when I was a kid, it, it was just all the visuals. Do you know what I mean you didn't really think about yeah. it? And, yeah. You know, and he was the hero and the hero won. Now I'm like, oh, I just can't, I can't watch it. There are other reasons as well, you know, <laughs> but give me a Kurt Hennig match or a Mr. Perfect match. And I'm like, yes, this is brilliant. They did a bit of a heel, uh, sort of a, a baby face turn, which I was also really into because I liked him and I didn't expect it. Um, yeah, but seeing himself, I mean, he's completely over the top and cartoony with some of his selling, but it works brilliantly. I think one of the great injustices um of of wrestling of that era um was he had the perfect record and he had this unbeaten run for a long time and then at wrestlemania he lost to brutus the barber beefcake he did what a a person to ruin i i just think don't why did you spoil it with that why did what what year was that which wrestlemania that that was 89 i think yeah because i think yeah so who, who was brutus the barber beefcake related to well yeah I mean that's well, totally best way. yeah. Best and I know Hogan, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and Perfect did a he he did a, a feud with Hogan, and as soon as you put in a feud with Hogan, it's, yeah. it's a two it's two sides of the coin, isn't it? One, you're going to, you're going to be on a sort of stage that is unrivaled. Two, you're never going to win. You no. know, <laughs> never in a million years. But you know he and like there was I didn't realize this when I, I I've seen this now watching back clips like Mr Perfect actually looked taking a hammer and smashing up the world heavyweight title. Oh yeah, yeah. And was, he I just think said, that was oh. a Saturday main event. Yeah, was, yeah. yeah. And he was great, just yeah. he was so good at it that you know he didn't need a manager, but I think Bobby Heenan and Mr Perfect were a perfect, pardon the pun, combination. Plus, um, he could do two things. The way he threw that towel and Bobby Heenan oh. would behind his back and Bobby Heenan would catch it. And yeah. you know, he, he would spit gum out of his mouth and then hit yeah. it with his hand. That's really difficult to do. Into the crowd. <laughs> Into <Yeah>. the crowd. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just think, and you know, 
it's a shame he never got to win more than he did. I think he's one yeah. of the best in intercontinental title. My favourite title is the intercontinental title. Yeah, um, and I and they always say, oh, it's the workhorse um, title. Not not anymore. It doesn't really mean anything. But um, at that time, I think Mr. Perfect was a was a brilliant um, title. He had it twice, well, I believe, didn't he? I well, just on that, yeah. then, a couple of, couple of things you may or may not know about um Kurt Hennig, Mr. Perfect. So obviously yeah. his dad was Larry the Axe Hennig, who was yeah. apparently one mean bastard anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, he went to school um, with Rick Rude. Yeah. <laughs> Robbins Day High School, according to this, in Minnesota. Alongside, and get this for a class, Tom Zenk, Brady Boone, Nikita Koloff, Road <laughs> Warrior Hawk, and Barry Darso, who later went right. on to be one half of um, Demolition. And then was it Repo Man and stuff like that he did yeah, after? Yeah, he was a Repo Man. Not a bad class, that, is it? But <laughs> yeah. uh, I agree everything you say about, about Kurt Hennig. I mean, he's yeah. another one that I used to despise because yeah. he he was so good. He was just so good. And I used to love hating him. It was one of those those things. And, you know, you really wanted to give him a and the really mu- the music good was good. The, entr- the entrance was just spot on. Oh, everything. And, and you know, you've, you've mentioned Bobby Heenan there. I mean, Bobby Heenan, to me, was... was he was just untouchable you know the guy he could he could work with anyone and make them look good you know yeah, yeah. he was brilliant and um yeah you're right it was the perfect match and yeah good call good call yeah. what about you if john I, you got one i've got one can, and can i also just just to add to what vince said there um kurt hennig managed to get over in wcw in 1999 with the the West Texas Rednecks and their rap is crap singles. <laughs> yes. yeah. Do you yeah. know how hard it is to get over in WCW <laughs> in 1999 yep. when they had the the Kiss Demon yeah. and Vince Russo was putting the strap on David Arquette? He managed oh, to get over in the worst wrestling company in the world. <laughs> yeah. And I think that is a testament to how smart he was. Yeah. So, no, I think that's a good pick. Um, my picks were mentioned already. Um, uh, on balance, the greatest of all time in wrestling for me is Bobby the Brain Heenan, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I, now he, he wasn't a what he did. He did work a little bit in the in the sixties and the seventies, right? But and you know he's obviously obviously better known as a, as a manager, right? But he could take a believable kick in, right? He he could bump a lot better than some of the people he managed, right? Yeah, yeah. He was one of the all time great talkers, commentators, managers, right? He knew when to lean in. He knew when to back off. He knew when to steal the spotlight. He had a better grip on the psychology it takes than almost anybody. And because and there was that famous promo he did, you know, you listen to me, you go straight to the top. You go on your own, you're never heard from again, right? Yeah. And I th- and he was he was right, you know, because whoever they put him, they they put stinking people with him, and he managed to get him over, you know, yeah. just so, uh, he could he could have got anybody over, right? So I think on on just the sheer balance of what I think it takes to be like, you know, a truly great professional in the business, I think Bobby Heenan is probably yeah. up there for me. And, and just in terms of just enjoyment, and I don't know if either of you have ever seen this. There's a clip on YouTube of um, uh, Jim Duggan in WCW doing a squash match, and right. Bobby the Brain Heenan spends the entire match laughing at how thick he is, right? <laughs> Yeah. And it's a it's a rib it's a rib on Duggan right but it's one of the funniest clips you can honestly you have to look it up um and in terms of in ring talent I think there's a, a good case to be made for Chris Jericho because yeah. there's another person mm-hmm. who could just talk him into the building 
and uh, you have to you have to mention Ric Flair. You yeah. know, yeah. the, the yeah. sixty minute man, the promo. You mm. know, I've had more shower time than Hogan's had wrestling time. Woo! You know all this shit. You know he was. Uh, and, Diamonds you know, are to, forever. Diamonds are so, forever. Yeah. Ladies, you can't be first, but you can be next, and all this other shit. And <laughs> like when he used to get so worked up in the ring, he'd take off his jacket and drop an elbow on it. <laughs> like it just, yeah, like, yeah. Like, yeah. I like Rick, and you know, maybe toward even like towards the end of his career, like when he worked that program with the Undertaker and Shawn Michaels, you know, like you know, like Shawn Michaels could wrestle a broom and and make it look good, right? But he still had it. You know what I mean? Like even when he was in his sixties, he still had it. You know, like so if you want to talk about work rate over the years. Yeah. You know, I mean, Flair's got to be in that discussion yeah. in terms of like the greatest professional wrestlers of all time. So yeah, but I mean, for for me, for my personal enjoyment, I would say Bobby Heenan, just yeah. because of just just the hours he put in. The, and he, Heenan could do as something where you know, as as a manager, he managed these wrestlers that you hated, and therefore, you, and you hated Bobby Heenan as well. But you saw him on commentary; it's just some of the funniest stuff. He could do comedy yeah. really well. Yeah, which one of the naturally which, funniest people ever in the business. Yeah, which if you've watched a lot of wrestling comedy, most of it's not funny. No, it's it, not. Re- it really isn't. But you get a good commentator like Bobby Heenan. And Bo- Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon on commentary yeah. was such a good relationship. Hello, everyone. I'm Gorilla Monsoon along with Bobby DeBrain Heenan on this very special Mother's Day weekend. Boy, you said a mouthful. I wish Mother's Day was every day. Last year, my mom got me a red Mercedes. What do you mean, got you? It's Mother's Day. You're supposed to show your love and give something to your mom. I'm her kid. How's that? You're disgusting. Here we go. I think that's probably arguably one of the great double acts of our in any any entertainment Mm. format. And, and, and also it's it's fairly timeless as well like you know you have like jim ross and jerry the king lawler yep. that hasn't dated well mainly because of the jerry the king um well, let's, let's be honest yeah um but uh, bobby and gorilla monsoon you, <laughs> yeah, you can still watch it now and it's hilarious yeah, yeah. no I, I think heenan's a great show i mean i i remember one regret i've got is um i was at, was at a comic con in Wrexham a few years ago and and uh, it's after he'd been ill and stuff, and he, you know, he, he kind of did um, out operations and stuff, and he couldn't really talk much, and he was signing, and I couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to go over because he didn't look like he should have been there, yeah, you know, yeah. he died not, and I thought if it, if he hadn't been unwell, I would have, I would love to have met him and just mm. told him how fantastic I thought, yeah so frail and ill that i just couldn't you know i couldn't bring myself to go over and, and even just thank him um and i wish i had now to a degree yeah it was it was awful what happened what happened to bobby i mean you know the the, yeah. the cruel irony that one of the great speakers of the wrestling business ends up not being able to talk do you know what i mean like mm-hmm. but i mean you know he got he got the hall of fame nod you know mm-hmm. like um he was in every hall of fame that was worth a shit you know i i think you know I'm glad that he uh, he's somebody who got the recognition he deserved while he was alive. Yes. Whereas yeah, yeah. You, you take some other people like Vader, for instance, you know what I mean, who didn't. Yeah. Like, yep. so I, I think at least at least he did know just how much he meant to the business before he. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, I think that's at least yeah. something. Any others you want to throw in, or should we move on? I will throw in just quickly. I think Randy Savage is yeah a, a phenomenal. That was my performer. pick. He's yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, on the mic, 
absolutely i i love watching like some of his interviews now like back in the day especially around the time 89 and stuff like that when he was completely on the rise he is responsible for the you know the wrestlemania 3 match which is one of the best of all um best mm. ever and yeah. no one absolutely no one no matter how much they copy it does an elbow drop like him it was picture perfect every time every yeah. time yeah it's and and he you can tell there's precision the way he he sort of moved in the air it's, it's almost like he jumped into the air and stayed in the perfect position until he landed on them yeah it was his you whole know. body it wasn't just the elbow yeah. yeah which i don't think a lot of people truly understood no um and also you know when he stood up on the on the top turnbuckle and he's lifting his arms in the air you know pointing to the sky <laughs> he's also got a good sense of balance for a bloke that's yeah <laughs> I, th- I think yeah. the fact I mean, that we he, never we never got a Randy Savage Shawn Michaels program like a six month program oh, I think that's one of the great tragedies yeah. of the business. Yeah, and we should have done. He wanted yeah. to do it, didn't he? Yeah. Um, they wouldn't. They wouldn't. Like, he wanted a two year program where he would eventually lose at WrestleMania to, to yeah. Michaels cleanly, uh, and that would be his career over, and they they wouldn't run the program, which yeah. is a real shame. I mean, he did that. You know, that retirement match. I mean, it led to the you know the the emotional moment with reuniting with Miss Elizabeth. But you know, when he was against the Armor Warrior, and the Armor Warrior takes like I don't know twenty six elbow drops and then kicks out. What? I mean, <laughs> it's it's, a, it's an interesting thing that the Macho Man story because when you when you think about all the time when they were pushing the wedding, you know, the match made in mm-hmm. heaven. Yeah. Um, they were actually getting divorced at that point yeah. in real life, yeah. and it was like, oh man, you know, they've been estranged for months, and then they. But that was Vince. He was all show business, wasn't he? And, mm. you know, credit to them. They were professionals, both him and Elizabeth, and they mm. went along with it. But that must have been hard. I mean, mm. that must have messed with his head. And to be fair, you know, I don't think it took a lot to mess with his head um, no. from what I've read about him. And he was, really he's just a very he was the ultimate showman. He had yeah. everything. You know, he could do it. Oh, yeah. you know, I mean, I had it was him and Piper I've written down here. I couldn't decide between the two. Yeah. I yeah. love Piper as well, and very similar. You know, straddle that that line of of like you know favorite and heel, but never quite really landed on the favorite side either of them. You know, they just they just kind of flirted with being a fan favorite a little bit, but they just did what they wanted, and I, I love that. But you know my favorite. You know my favorite thing about Roddy Piper. I I love Piper. Right. One of my favorite things about him was. That fucking eye poke he used to do. He'd just <laughs> throw it in yeah. there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it looked perfect. Every time he would just like stagger up and then dunk. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was marvellous. It was brilliant. And yeah. again, he was a true showman. You know, mm. he could read an audience. He knew about the psychology of, of wrestling, which I think um, I think both of you have mentioned earlier on. And because and, that's what it is. You know, you, you, you've got to understand that it's you're trying to tell a story. Yeah. And as we all know from trying to tell stories, you can't just tell a story. You know, you have to have your, your hero's journey or, your, your you know, your villain's journey and stuff. So, you yeah. know, he got that. And they're both lost to us, you know, as, as of all the people we've talked about. Um, mm. You know, but, man, they were fantastic, weren't they? Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So should we go on to some of the questions that we had then so that were submitted? So um, we, had, we had quite a few. And what I did was I, I, I cut them down to, to a handful so, so we'd be able to get through them with a bit of discussion. So the first one, and this is one that I had several times from different people, and I think it's something that maybe we should just get on the table early on and, and talk about. <laughs> Question was, is it true that wrestling is just pretend? 
So who'd like to answer that diplomatically? Well, I mean, it is it is a work, but you know, you try. Well, you try telling David Schultz that it's fake, you know, <laughs> or you try yeah. telling or you try telling Darren Drozdov that it's fake. You know what I mean? It may not it may yeah. not be a competitive athletic competition, right? But it does, and, and we've just talked about it just now, right? But it does require an athleticism, and it requires a mastery of psychology that is very rare to see done properly like you know like rick flair understood it the rock understood it you know, all the all all the people you think of who were like the greats of the business mm-hmm. understood what it took and yeah. you know when you think about people like you know you know even some of like the people who were bandied around as like latter-day greats like eddie guerrero chris jericho all these people they all got it they all got that it's about you know knowing when to speed up and knowing when to slow down and play like playing the audience you know and combining that with, you know, again, some of these matches, you know, when you think about, you know, you know, Ric Flair doing these 60 minute matches in in North Carolina or, you know, um, Michaels versus Bret Hart, 60 minutes and yeah. having to work their way to a finish and keeping the audience on track and keeping the score where it's meant to be. You know, I think, you know, even though it is, you know, yeah, even though it is, um, you know, like, you know, predetermined and it's, you know, in air quotes, entertainment, um I don't. I don't think it's entirely fair to just brush it off at all. Well, it's just oh, it's a lot of fucking bullshit. Do you know what I mean? Like. Yeah, because the tradi- You know, you always got that. You know, that's fake, don't you? Mm. No, no. I, is Santa Claus also real? I mean, if, that doesn't just. Some of that. I mean, if you land, uh, you know, through a wooden table on essentially a thin crash mat. And if you're a kid at school and you, you know, tumbled over wrong on a, on a mm. thin crash mat, it would hurt, let alone tumbling 15 feet um, onto it. You, you know, they're, they're, they're part, they're part athlete, part acrobat, part stuntman, part actor. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's predetermined, um, but they have to do an awful lot of work. Well, no, never yeah. mind the table. Have you ever taken a bump in a ring? Yeah. It's, it's, um, well, oh, it I mean, sucks. It, it it differs from ring yeah. to ring, doesn't it? Some of them are a bit spongier than others, but most of them it's just bored, doesn't it? It's, it's plywood yeah. on metal struts. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not easy. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a fair point, and I mean, you're right. And I mean, I'm I'm fortunate enough to know um, the amazing kung fu I was talking about earlier. He's actually H's best friend's dad, <laughs> which <laughs> there's a whole story behind that. That when I first met him, I couldn't believe it. Um, you know, he's had multiple operations for things and yeah, yeah. They've torn muscles, with wrestlers, wrestlers tear muscles, and, yeah, you can't you know, imagine yeah. the the pain. We've got go. muscles I haven't even got. I mean like the right. famous like when Triple H literally ripped the muscle off the bone during um it was um versus uh Jericho and Ben Benoit, wasn't it? It was Triple H and yeah. Stone Cold, wasn't it? And he, and that wasn't even doing a, a bump. That was just he just stretched too far, like r- rushing over, and he, the muscle came off the butt. That's oh god, just thinking about it. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and then they yeah, have to right. get in shape. They have to get in shape and come back because otherwise, you know, yeah. they're not they're not getting. It's not an office job, is it? They've got. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. I think we did that diplomatically. I think that I think we did so. that well. That's yeah. fair enough. At least yeah. we didn't go, no, it isn't. I can understand, you know, because of the, the way it's presented, I can understand why some people are put off by things. Do you, do you two guys feel that there's still a stigma about 
saying that you like wrestling very much like yeah. the stigma around yeah. being a comics fan yeah there is yeah there yes, is absolutely there still is. is isn't there yeah and you still and get it, it like you know we we're within the comics community but this is rare that i get a chance to <laughs> sit down and go oh my god the old school stuff Do you, yeah. yeah talk about wrestling do you know what I mean? There, there are many, many pub conversations that I could have about this, but all of it, like all of my friends who liked it when I was a kid, no longer like it. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's, it's not, it's no, not my dirty, dirty little secret because I, I, I love it. Um, but yeah, it's just nice to be able to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, and of course I mashed it, I mashed the two together in a comic, didn't I? So I've, I've yeah, totally yeah. nerded myself yeah. out on this one. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, so next question then, and this comes from Gary the Daddy Hill. Um, <laughs> he was going to be called the Sperminator, and we still let's not. And uh, Gary's question is: In your opinion, which wrestler or wrestlers had the best entrance to the ring? He goes what? on to say that Goldberg was always a favourite of his. Gold, Goldberg is a good one, uh, yeah. basically because it played up the the mysticism of him, and they hid the fact that he couldn't do that much very very well. Yeah, um, Stephen Regal didn't, but WCW tried to. Smart. Yeah, but but you know Regal is one in a million. I love that man. He's <laughs> just awesome, and he's also you know he he's had a hell of a life. But you know, but anyway, we could do a whole podcast on him. But I think um, going a little bit unconventional. There's a couple of uh, mentions in terms of entrances that I, I want to bring up. One, I don't know why, but and it's, and it's it's properly cheesy but you know there's little rings that they came <laughs> in wrestlemania 3 the little <laughs> rings on yeah. wheels that came yes. down i yeah. thought they were great <laughs> that's when you put andre on one yeah like yeah yeah and then you get the, the, the 12 blokes pushing behind going jesus i'm not getting paid <laughs> enough for this um but you know but it also led to that that the iconic moment of when macho man lost and as he's being wheeled out you know all the rubbish being <laughs> thrown at him yeah. um, <laughs> Yeah, and I I think there's a, there's a couple of entrances I like. One of them is a particular entrance at a particular time, which is my favourite. Um, it's not even entrance to a match really. I think Chris Jericho's debut in yes. WWF is the greatest entrance and debut of all time. Yeah, of all time. The, the countdown and then his name appears on the yeah. Titan Tron and the crowd just goes fucking ape. Yeah, yeah. At a time mental. when you know the internet wasn't such a huge thing but they all know they knew who he was where he came from and and like and it was a shame that if you watch the clip five minutes into it the rock obliterates him on the mic and they totally (laughs) try to have going and he he came back from it and he is the man he is now but it's so good that and the music that and it just made you immediately love that whole chris jericho sort of entrance and music and stuff Um, I, I like in t- in terms of like which entrance can I watch every time? Um, yeah. Steve Austin. Ah, that was the one. That was another one I was gonna watch. Because the glass, the glass breaks. The glass breaks yeah. and the because every time the crowd was up. Like as soon as that glass breaks, 
and the the music was perfect. Apparently, he um he went into um oh, what's his name Daniel Johnson, the guy who writes the music at Jim, WWE. Oh, yeah. Jim, Jim Johnson, yeah. yeah. He um he took in Bulls on Parade by Rage Against the Machine. He said, I want something like this. And I think even if he'd had Bulls on Parade, it wouldn't have been as good as what he yeah. actually had because it fit him perfectly. The glass breaking. The original just... one was the best as well. I know they did several evolutions. Oh, uh, yeah, there was like a, a disturbed cover of it, which wasn't yeah. very good. But, yeah. um, yeah, the original, the 97, the glass break, and he just, just like saunters down to the ring, shoulders forward, head down, and then there's a couple of, you know, arms up in the corners. He did, did he do one on each? He did each corner, didn't he? I think he did. One, yeah, it was one yeah. on each, so, yeah. so the the hard camera could move around. But um, yeah, I I just think I think like that, you know, to me like typifies like what it like what it meant to to be like the top guy yeah. in that time. Because like you know, because like Shawn Michaels still had his like you know um, his like sexy boy thing <laughs> yeah. and the yeah. pyro from like '94. I think they gave him that. And I think by the time, like, I think, you know, like you look at like WrestleMania 14. So you've got like this, you know, this store war, like this last link to like the old days of the WWE. And then this glass breaks and down comes Austin. It's, it's, it's the total and utter passing of the torch, you know? Mm. So for for me, it's, uh, it's Austin. It's got to be Austin every time. Yeah. 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 Another uh, uh, a shout out for the brood. <laughs> I just oh, used to yeah, love the, yeah, yeah. the fire and watching them rise up from the ring. Was, I mean, it's goth as hell, but loved it. <laughs> also, on a similar tip, the Sandman in ECW. <laughs> when he, had, he they would play Enter Sandman, so you you can't watch it on yeah. the network because they've blurred it out and put yeah. something rubbish over the top. But when the you know the lights would go down and he would just appear somewhere in the crowd, he'd yeah. have about five beers on his way to the ring. He'd be smoking a cigarette. He'd, yeah. he'd put he'd, he'd smash the cans on his head, so he'd be bleeding by the time he got to the ring. He's already drunk. He's been smoking fags. He can't work of he can't work a shit, right? Yeah. But there was just something about the Sandman, I think, that really. You know, because Paul Heyman was a master of this, of like put, pushing someone's strengths and hiding their weaknesses, and I think yeah. they they never got it right quite like they did for the Sandman. You know, because his entrance was longer than his matches half the time. <laughs> yeah, like well, it's funny that mm. um, yeah, it, well, like the Ultimate Warrior to a degree, because I mean yeah. he had a tremendous um, ring the entry w- style. Yeah, he used yeah. to sprint down, blow himself up, and then <laughs> yeah. you'd have a well, two-minute match. Because I know, um, you know, several things I've read with this. By the time he actually got to the ring and he'd shook the ropes, he was knackered. Yeah. You know, he was, and you think I'm not surprised. But my favourite, and and it was more to do with with the the music and the slow, methodical approach, was Jake the Snake Roberts. I absolutely oh, yeah, loved yeah. the way he would he would enter the the arena and stuff, and that kind of strange kind of rumbling soundtrack he had. You yeah. know, and it was like it was just really unnerving. Really, and he he would take his time because again, you know, we talk about masters of psychology, and Jake Roberts is one of those. You know, yeah. he knows how to work a crowd, and he knows how to to basically set the scene for what what's going to happen when it was like you know the the old fashioned royal room. You know, you'd be sitting there waiting for who was next, and then the music would strike up, yeah. and you know, no matter who it was, because I I watched um, Rumble ninety the other week. 
and just just add it on in the background and every time the music you know the countdown and then the music yeah and every time the music starts the hairs on the back of your neck go up you yeah. know it, yeah. it's just just unbelievable yeah. unbelievable as a quick aside just a, just a quick one what tag team do you think had the best entrance Oh shit. Or, or not necessarily the best entrance. I think your favourite. I mean, I I was always a fan of like the music and the Hardy Boys entrance. That drum that starts the Hardy Boys um, is just awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I was always a sucker for the Road Warriors. You know. Uh, yeah, I was about to say yeah, they're, they're, the Road Warriors. Yeah, yeah. You know, they, they, had, they, they were. In, I've not seen the Dark Side of the Ring episode on them yet. It's um, good, but it is very good. But another sad one. It is. Yeah. A lot of the, well, a lot of them are. But. Yeah, but I, I I really like them. When when they joined the WWF, I was just thought mm. this is going to be amazing. Then then the the, the Legion the, of Doom yeah, didn't the, quite work. The um the the documentaries are worth watching because mm. if you think back to when you were watching them then and then yeah, it's been know, a really it's, good series. Yeah, it's a very good series. Um, okay. okay, so next question comes from a friend of all of us, which is Dan the Guns Butcher. <laughs> Huh. And he's asking, what was the funniest skit or pre-match interview that you ever saw? Um, uh, I, I got, I, I, I had to narrow it down for two for this. They're both, they're both um, latter-day WCW. Yeah. Number one for me was um, when Chris Jericho was working against Dean Malenko. Are <laughs> you talking about the list? D- Dean Malenko um, was <laughs> billed as the man of a thousand holds, right? Yes. So Chris Jericho <laughs> comes in the ring with this big stack of printer paper. There's like you know the the stuff that um uh was like connected by perforated dots to the bottom like the oh, yeah, printer yeah. paper. And yeah. he said, "Dean Malenko, you call yourself the man of a thousand holds? Well, I know a thousand and four holds, and I'm gonna read them all. <laughs> number one, armbar. Number two, <laughs> and he got and it went to commercial. He came back. Number eight hundred and three, armbar. You know, like and I I, I thought that was class. Um, yeah. And another one was, um, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but uh, Gene Oakland was backstage interviewing Ernest the Cat Miller. <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> and yeah. he was another one who couldn't work a shit, but yeah. he was funny, right? And Gene Oakland, the consummate professional, he, you know, because uh, um, Ernest Miller was a heel at the time. And um, I can't remember what prompted him to say this, but Gene Oakland said, well, I wouldn't like to buy a used car from you. And Ernest Miller turns around, quick as a flash, and goes, yeah, I'll sell my foot to your ass. And Gene Oakland goes, <laughs> <laughs> they have to cut off him so quick and that was class i got a bit i've never seen gene oakland crack but i'll sell my foot to your ass is <laughs> one of the best lines yeah. i think i've ever yeah. heard in my yeah. life <laughs> spoiler alert gene oakland appears on my choice um i mean again i've got two of those and he's in both of them because i love gene oakland but he's when you look back now a lot of those worked because of him yeah you know so yeah. uh, sorry vince you were saying i mean I, I think a lot of like the old the old school like seeing the Ric Flair promos and things like that. They yeah. there there is something funny about watching them now. I mean they're not played for laughs, but he's saying some absolutely diamond lines and and pulling it off. What yeah. also would like the you know the Randy Savage stuff like that like the post he's so intense and he's so over the top that you that is just I just love watching them. One of the I think a lot of wrestling skits fall flat. Um, especially yeah, yeah. that like the behind the scene you know when they're yeah. sort of backstage as it were but um there was one that i did always used to like and it was when edge and christian did their for the benefit of those with flash oh, photography yeah, yeah. 
and they would just strike a pose and all the cameras would go off. That I, I thought, that's good, because that immediately, that says something about their characters. It's also a moment for the entire audience to take part in. Um, and, yeah, they did some brilliant ones like that. Uh, brilliant. That's my choice. Yeah, so my, my two were, uh, as I say, both had Oakland involved. And one was with um, a classical one with the Macho Man, when he was feuding at the time with Tito Santana and... and it's when he comes out and does this weird little tongue flick at the beginning. Oh, you know, yeah. So does this weird little tongue flick and Gene straight away, what, what, what the hell yeah. was that? You know? And then he, he, he then drapes What are you doing? This towel <laughs> for tears. And, he, and the whole thing is just absolutely yeah. brilliant. And I, I remember again watching Gene Oakland in an interview and saying that working with the Macho Man, you, you never knew what he was going to do. They never, never, like, you know, preempted anything. They just let him come out and talk. And he said, and, you you couldn't try and make sense of the direction he was going in. You just went with it. And he, yeah. when you watch it, he does that brilliantly. Yeah. And the other one that always makes me laugh, and it makes and it still makes me laugh when I see it now, was the end of um, Royal Rumble '92 when Ric Flair has won the Rumble and he's become the world champion, and yeah. uh, he's back in the locker room with with uh, Kurt Hennig and yeah. Bobby Heath celebrating, and somebody starts smoking off camera. And Gene Oakland turns and goes, put that cigarette out. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, very good. Rick Blair, you have made world. Put that cigarette out. (laughs) What are you doing? That is such a moment as well. It was just Because I remember at the time when I was a kid, that that Royal Rumble, um, I love Ric Flair now. When I was a kid, I hated Ric Flair. Yeah. yeah. It was one of those. And he's he's in at number three. And when he won, I was like, oh, no. (laughs) But watching it now, I'm like, yes. Yes, this is awesome. If you get a chance to actually watch or just listen to it in the background, the the thing about that is is brilliant. Not only Ric Flair's work. I mean, you know, because it's a 60-minute match room, essentially, which is nothing to him, was it? You know, but he was tremendous in it. Yeah. But if you, you just listen to Bobby Heenan, because you know, obviously Bobby Heenan's When he comes manager, out at number three, oh, Bobby Heenan's reaction is it, perfection. It, it is probably one of the greatest single like comedy <laughs> pieces that yeah. lasts for an entire match I've ever heard. Yeah. It, it is so funny. It's brilliantly done. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't like Ric Flair um, yeah. at that time. I wasn't a fan. I, I admired what he could do, but I wasn't particularly a fan of his, but that was yeah. that was tremendous tremendous yeah. okay so dan also cheekily asked another question you know dan's like give him a rope he thinks he's a cowboy yeah you know I mean? <laughs> i've heard that before i'm stealing that <laughs> and his, his second question is what do you think oh sorry do you think a match ever went too far i think plenty uh, of matches did yeah i think plenty of matches did and i and i would argue that the the attitude era yeah. And the 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 sort of exponential escalation of violence, particularly in ECW, it was so untenable that when the business did tail off in like 2002, it did so earlier and for longer than it would have done if it if they because they spent the last five years hot shotting. And although you know because ECW didn't invent that stuff, you know they did barbed wire and the scaffold and the territories and you know they had the Japanese deathmatch tournaments in the 80s and 90s where they'd have the exploding rings and the push pins but it used to be like a once a year you can't miss it spectacular and i think the fans got inured to it through overexposure because once you've seen like Shane McMahon be suplexed through glass and fall off the Titan Tron or you've seen these 
fucking marks in CZW being yeah. run, running through razor blade factories with their dick and balls on fire. Like, where do you go from that? You know, and how, you know, how do you get heat for pulling someone's tights after that? It yeah, devalued. Yeah. I think it devalued the business, and I think I think that's now why the presentation now is far more athletic and technical, at least in the mainstream on WWE and on AEW. You you know you don't really see the ECW style stuff anymore outside of the mud shows, you know. So I think I think plenty of matches did go too far, and I, I, even some of the, even some of the ones that are like more straight, like personally, like I think like. In in terms of mistakes, I think hot shotting in the nineties and all the you know the chairs obviously all those chair shots were a terrible idea. No I mean what we the know best now. example of it is obviously you know um, behind the mat when Rick Mick Foley is handcuffed and the Rock is just yeah absolutely smashing him mm. yeah and exactly. it, it, I mean it's it's a wonder that Mick Foley is still with us these days yeah uh, and is the way he is because uh, you know that it is it's shocking. I mean, yeah. that that must be something that Dwayne Johnson, as he's now known, he, he must never forgive himself. I mean, you wouldn't, would you? You must wonder. You must wonder what that does to somebody if you've yeah. if you if you're the one swinging the chair. Yeah. But like, but I, I'd even say like things like like I like personally, I think one of the big mistakes that the WWE made in the last twenty years, right? And like. I think it was, you know, not a, maybe not a mistake when they brought him in the first time, but I definitely think it was a mistake to bring him back. Was bringing in Brock Lesnar, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think bringing him back in the in the in the 2010s, right, when it, when he did come back, I think that was a crucial misstep because in the post kayfabe world, the the understanding is there's like an is it's like a magic show. There's an agreement with the audience. You and I both know this is bullshit, but we're going to suspend our disbelief for a second. Yeah. to go along with the story. If you bring in somebody who is a legitimate shoot fighter, like a UFC champion and someone who is legitimately hard and everybody knows he's hard, what are you going to do? You're going to have Kofi Kingston beat him on SmackDown? It's not going to happen. Do you know what I mean? Like, who do you put yeah. in the ring with him that's going to be believably competitive? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think even in like that regard, I think bringing in, bringing in like known shooters, because they had Dan Seven in the 90s, yeah. but he wasn't, and, and Ken Shamrock, who was a legitimate shoot fight winner i mean you brock's know a, brock's a very interesting character as, as well because yeah. um i mean five minutes into a match he'll be red as a beetroot um yeah which, which is always hilarious yes. um and he's someone that if he doesn't want to work with you you're gonna have an awful match but and but i have seen it he makes some people look like absolute gold you know yeah if he, if he wants to work with you you'll look absolutely fantastic and then other times um <laughs> he just doesn't want to work with dean ambrose no, exactly. Yeah, no, he, he he can work. He's a great he's a great yeah. professional wrestler. But like, I just think that having someone with those credentials in, yeah. it, it, you know, especially in like the post kayfabe world, I think having someone like that, it, I think it's just it's very very hard to book around yeah. them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think yeah. I I know why they did it, and you know, mm. I understand why they brought him in. But like, you know, and the problem with the, like a Ronda Rousey, do you know what I mean? <laughs> because how yeah. how are you ever going to book her to eventually lose and please everyone? And yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. they did what they did what they could. Like people uh, have seen Ronda Rousey knock people out on live TV. What are we going to? Yeah. How are we going to believe yeah. that, ba- that Bailey beat yeah. her with a with a sunset flip? No one's going to believe it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. So I think like even that. But I mean, the, yeah, like the late nineties stuff. I mean, yeah. as entertaining yeah. as some of it was, like, the really good stuff in the late nineties was was some of the technical stuff that was going on, especially in yeah. like ECW and WCW when they had like Guerrero, Benoit, Malenko, Jericho. 
all those yeah. people, you know, Rey Mysterio. Mm. All, that was the, you know, the really, really good stuff that wasn't really getting yeah. the, the recognition it deserved. But all that hot shot shit, as entertaining as it was to watch those like table ladders and chairs match and some of yeah. those ECW matches, it's like, where do you go from there? Do you know what I mean? Unless they have someone, you know, shot with a gun in the middle of the ring. How do you build on it? Yeah, it was it was a 90s sort of, um, <laughs> I'm going to sound like a preacher. Do you know what I mean? The sex and violence yeah. um, was totally overkill. Um, I think it says a lot for a lot of the athletes. Like, for, I mean, for my money, that the women's wrestling is is better than it's ever been, and uh, most of the time they're they're the better matches. If if you get the right couple of wrestlers, you know, they're, they're far mm. better. I mean, um, Bailey versus Sasha Banks was my match of the year a couple of years ago when they were in NXT because right. it did everything in terms of the storytelling. You know, we're talking <clears> about like psychology, and that that yeah. did everything better than anything on the on the bigger brand and stuff so the yeah. fact that they've been able to build that up yeah. from let, let's see where where women were in the wwe as it were was you know early 2000s and stuff it's a completely different league thankfully thank god yeah um, so I, I i kind of tuned out of wrestling for the, from the mid 90s as i mentioned earlier so I, a lot of the stuff that you're referring to i'm just i'm playing a bit of catch-up at the moment where I'm, I'm working my way back through and up through the years yeah so you know, for me, when I think of um, matches that went too far, the one that always sticks in my mind, and then when you read about um, what happened behind the scenes and how often this happened, it's it's Starcade '83 with Piper and Valentine in a dog collar match, and I've oh, never yeah, seen anything yeah. like that. I've never. I remember the first time I saw pictures of that in um, an old copy of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, and I was thinking, what the hell is this? And what the first time I watched it on the video, I couldn't believe it. You know, yeah. I couldn't believe that these two guys would go to the lengths they went to because, you know, it was it was just unbelievable um, how much suffering and pain they were they were willing to put on as a show. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think you realise they did that 15 times in a row on the night. <laughs> you know, go travelling round and the yeah. you know Piper's great idea of let's put some lambs wool in the collar because that that might stop it rubbing and then realized that once it got wet and soaked with blood it, it actually rubbed even more and caused infections oh, and god and they just kept doing it and you know and he, of course his ear went you know he bust his ear up and all the rest of it but yeah that's the match for me that i always thought and even to this day when somebody talks about a match that slightly went too far you see something yeah you see some pictures and they're just uncomfortable and then i thought probably any match that new jack was ever involved in then probably went too far new jack jesus christ he was another one who had a class entrance but i mean my god some of the like well he gave that he was in the ring with like a 60 year old bloke or something on the indies like like, about a decade ago and he he basically killed him do you know what i mean like didn't he and he does go i feel sorry about it now but he's like it's too late now yeah (laughs) and then you get like people yeah you get abdullah the butcher and stuff who's just like carving into the top of his head with forks and stuff like that you just think jesus jesus christ yeah there's some pictures where it just goes too far and sometimes it's too far by accident you know i mean yes obviously with the blading that's that's obviously a a thing but you know eddie guerrero the classic one where he bladed himself and caught an artery yeah and you know what should have been normal then became an absolute bloodbath well, the thing uh, is that the the blade was a, was a you know that was obviously as they discussed on Dark Side of the Ring it was yeah. a territory's thing to protect kayfabe so that no one yeah. found a blood capsule, but yeah. I think like yeah. when you're going into you know I mean if people are still blading today with 
the technology that the WWE has at their disposal. I mean, they've got to be out of their yeah. minds because you you yeah. look at you saw like Dusty Rhodes' forehead and like New Jack's forehead. Yeah. Now it's just yeah. oh my gosh, just. I mean, you you say the technology at their disposal, but they still don't want to cough up the money sometimes, do they? No. Oh no. no and it's probably it's probably easier to. to okay, great. So uh, our final question comes from um, can't quite make the name out. I think it's John Trucker. I think oh, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it, it arrived by pigeon, so yeah. you know it was dropped on my door. Um, now this question, and I'll give a bit of background. If anybody listening to this is more from the comic side than the wrestling side, and it's How do have you, you made think it the Montreal? I was going to say yeah. no one's sticking around. <laughs> <laughs> do you think the Montreal screw job was a work? So. I'm going to assume that there are some people that are sticking around listening to this who, who aren't aware of what the Montreal screw job is. So very quickly, <clears throat> for any non-wrestling fans out there, the Montreal screw job was a controversial incident that took place back in 1997 in the Survivor Series pay-per-view event. It was between the reigning champion, Brett the Hitman Hart, and the contender, Shawn Michaels. After he's informed by the WWE that they couldn't afford to honour his contract anymore. Bret Hart signed with the rival promotion, the WCW. So it was decided that he needed to lose the match and drop the belt to Sean at the event, as they didn't want their champion to leave with the title around their waist. The only problem was that Bret and Sean genuinely hated each other and had a long history of feuding both inside and outside the ring. So the thought of losing his title to him was simply unacceptable. And to make it even worse, he didn't want to lose at an event that was taking place in Canada, where Brett and the Hart family were considered nothing short of national heroes. After much negotiation, it was agreed that the match would end in a disqualification, meaning that Brett retained the title. He would then forfeit this the next night on a TV taping. Brett was convinced that something was off, and although he kept checking, including Earl Hebner, the referee the very day, asking they don't intend to screw him over, the event came, and what happened allegedly changed the face of wrestling forever. The referee called for the bell, saying that Hart had submitted to his own signature move, the sharpshooter, and Michaels was declared the winner. Bret Hart, to say the very least, was not happy. And after the match, Bret himself says, in a confrontation with Vince McMahon in the locker room, led to him knocking McMahon out because he refused to leave. So the whole incident has been subject to debate now for over 20 years. And, you know, people are in one or two camps. Many think it was a brilliant piece of writing by the WWE. Um, although, you know, many, many other wrestlers and Brett dispute that. And others fall into the camp that he was genuinely double-crossed by Vince McMahon, the referee, possibly Shawn Michaels, and others. So... There's countless accounts and articles. There's a brilliant documentary made in the first season of Dark Side of the Ring about this. I ask you both, was it a work or was it a double cross? Vince, you can go first. <laughs> um, I think it, I don't think it was a work. I, I think um, the way it's played out and the, the bitterness, uh, the bitter rivalry between the WWF and WCW, um, uh, you know, if if it was a work, Brett certainly must have, would have. They, I don't know, just none of it seems to sort of line up. I can understand because there was a documentary crew with Brett Hart during his final week, etc. And if you want to have, I, I don't know. I th- I think it, the, just looking at it, 
um i i've always believed that it is it is real as real as as real as it can get within the wrestling world what is real within within the wrestling world but now i i believe i believe it, it, it was it was genuine um what happened what happened afterwards um in the following weeks months whatever you know that can be whatever but i think on the bret hart as well bless him one of the he, he completely no sold the whole thing um yeah. and this this is a guy where wrestling's in his blood he probably you know breaking kayfabe and all of that he's probably against his religion that kind of thing um he yeah. doesn't seem like the sort of person that would go against the business in the you know and completely become bret hart the man in that split second like when he spat when he leans over and spits on vince mcmahon he's not bret hart the wrestler then he's he for me he's the man who's just annoyed um but that that's my personal opinion and i'm okay. looking forward to seeing what john says come <laughs> on john well um I don't, I don't think we'll ever know for certain what happened that night no. um I, I i'm not personally sure what happened that night because you know like jim Cornette was on the booking committee and he spoke in dark side of the ring saying that he is the one who put the idea to vince mcmahon based on a the last Montreal screw job, which happened in the fifties mm. where somebody had their trainer yeah. bite their chest to make it look like the other guy had done it and screwed him out of the belt that way. Um, but I, I think there's, I, I think there's unanswered questions that, that, that um, could be indicative that it was a work that support the idea that it may have been a work. So number one, right. Bret Hart had, full creative control built into his contract, which he did say during wrestling with shadows. Right. So he had to agree to the, to the finish or he could sue. Right. He went to the newspapers to complain that he was screwed after he lost. Right. So why didn't he sue? You know, he's not been shy of litigation. He sued WCW's doctors. He he sued a plastic surgeon. He had a case for breach of contract against the WWF. And by the time you've complained about the screw job on television, I didn't really lose it, you know, then kayfabe's out the window, you know, as soon as you've gone on and said, I didn't really lose, then kayfabe's out the window. So why didn't he sue? That's number one. Number two, why did Vince McMahon allow the documentary crew in to film on the night of the screw job, right? If you're going to screw your world champion, your top talent in his hometown for real, would you let a documentary crew wire him up with a microphone and let them all roam around before, during, and after? Because around the ring, there was two crews. There was the WWF crew and there was the Wrestling with Shadows film crew. And the Wrestling with Shadows film crew are the ones who caught the spit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, number three, um, I like t- to me, like the worked shoot double cross, which is what this was, was, it was the only way for Brett to get what he wanted. Of all this, of all the scenarios, because he wouldn't change, you know, Jim Cornette said in the past they talked about changing the opponent. He wouldn't do that because it was booked as Brett versus Sean, right? It was the only way for him to leave without the belt, without losing to Sean in a match with Sean in his hometown, right? Number four, right? And there's only five, so we're nearly done, right? Though I, I, I don't <laughs> thought about I, this. I have yeah. thought about it. I. I don't don't think anybody who was involved could have predicted how well it would go because the the screw job was the the foil for the attitude era you know it created mr mcmahon the the this nuclear heel and the perfect foil for stone cold sean got even hotter ready for stone cold to topple him at wrestlemania 14 It, it was all 
it all ushered in this incredibly prosperous era. And even Brett, right, he was set up as a hot star going into WCW. Now, did they know that WCW were going to bungle it? Possibly, right? But, you know, any other promotion, if you've got the freshly screwed Bret Hart coming in, you they could have made $10 million at pay-per-view easily by bringing him in as a heel, sticking the strap on him, and engineering a collision course with Goldberg for a year from now, right? That would have been easily done. And every, everybody came out of that um, in a better position for what was to come. Yeah. Shawn Michaels wasn't even hot a heel. McMahon was the perfect foil for Steve Austin. And Brett should have been the hottest thing in the world going into WCW. The fact that WCW screwed it up, um, that well, that was WCW's fault. And my my last point is that I like in terms of who are, if it was if it was a work, which I think it could have been, then I think the only people that that knew it was a work would have been Sean, Brett, and Vince. I think they're the only three. Right. Because if it had been a real yeah. screw job, right, it's a, it's a well-known fact that Brett had beaten up Sean in the back previously and torn a chunk of his hair out. Right. Brett grew up in Calgary. You know, um, Stu Hart was his father who had the dungeon and they were all harder than coffin nails. Those boys, they were hard. And Shawn Michaels, by, by all accounts, is not hard. Right. So if you're going to screw him for real, you know, would they have put Shawn Michaels in the ring who couldn't really defend himself if Brett had decided had had realized that the fix was in and decided to lash out? You know, because Jim Cornette said, why don't you just put him in there with Shamrock? Because Shamrock will take it from him, you know? But they couldn't do that because he didn't want to change didn't want to change the opponents, right? And in Dark Side of the Ring, and this is why I don't I don't think Hebner was in on it, right? Because uh, in on the work. Because in Dark Side of the Ring, Hebner talked about it and he said that Brett had asked him on the plane, don't let anything yeah. fishy happen, right? And then as soon as Hebner gets in the arena, Vince McMahon takes him to one side and gives him the finish. Now, if you're gonna if you were gonna work a screw job, right, and you needed your referee to act like it was for real, isn't that exactly what you would do? You know? If you you know, if you to make sure that the referee really looks scared and he really sprints out of the ring like his life's in danger, isn't that exactly what you would do so that you don't get a big hokey Okay, ring the bell, ding, ding, ding. And I then, mean, you're making a good case, but do you believe it or not? I don't know. I, well, the, th- the problem is, is that you can't... Unless the, the, somebody, the unless somebody comes so out... The water's so muddy now. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, because it's been so Because a lot, a lot of the people that... In. Yeah, like you say, a lot of people that say, oh, it's definitely, you know, it's, it's, it's not a work. They weren't there. I, I think, like you say, there's only three people, um, four maybe at most, um, who would know about it. But, yeah, there, it was... But I, the only the only thing that makes me think it, it was probably a work is, and I think it may have been a work, right? Uh, I'm not because unless it's, it's you, one say, of those you things, sounded like, like you you were guaranteed it was a work. No, no, no. no. Well, the, the problem is unless somebody comes out and says yes, yeah. it was a work, we'll never we'll but, never but know now, for sure. But now no one's going to really believe it, are they? I mean, you just be like, oh, they're just promoting themselves. How, how do you mean? Well, if if so, because Brett's been saying for so long that it's not, and then I mean, Sean Michael, I mean Vince McMahon's never going to say anything. No, but I don't know. It, it, everything. I mean, what do you believe now? It's, it's so much has been said about it. I mean, well, you I almost, mean, the, you almost made me believe it that it was well, a work the, just then. The the only thing is right is that if it was if it was a work, you couldn't have got better people to do it, right? Because even though Sean Michaels, by all accounts, was a piece of shit and people hated him. 
he was trained by Luthez, and they did they did believe in kayfabe. They did. I know there was a the curtain called at Madison Square Garden, but they did believe in kayfabe. Bret Hart was an old school trained by Stu Hart. Kayfabe was that was real life to him. You know what I mean? If you wanted people to to work a screw job and keep it under their hat until the day they died, I maybe Shawn Michaels may have said something at some point, but Brett never would have needed with Vince, right? Yeah. And I think but if you, I, if you I, look I at the it, outcome of it, I think yeah. every everybody got what they wanted. Brett yes. did not have to lay down for Shawn Michaels. Vince McMahon got his belt back and possibly inadvertently became the, the perfect foil for Steve Austin. And Shawn Michaels got the belt off Bret Hart by hook or by crook because I really did believe they hated each other. I do. I really yeah. do believe they hated yeah. each other. So I think he thought that even if it was a work, Brett would have been somewhat embarrassed by that. And he could then go on and be an even hotter heel and there, therefore ask for more money against Steve Austin at WrestleMania 14. So I think everybody got what they wanted. I, I just don't think, I mean, Vince McMahon being Vince McMahon. Well, I mean, saying that no one really knows him apart from him and maybe no, he doesn't know himself. Um, I, I just don't believe that he would, you know, it like you say, turns Brett into an absolute number one star um, and, you know, and sending him off to this, to the bitter, bitter rivals. Here is, here you go. Here is an oven cooked uh, gold mine here for you. Um, because like you say, yes, it did paint him as this bad guy, etc., and he capitalised on that. But there's there's absolutely no guarantee about that. And no, also, no, no, you're right. There is no guarantee. But the thing is, Bret Hart was let go from the WWF. They opened him up to negotiate with WCW, so they knew he was going anyway. So maybe as a courtesy to Bret, like we'll give you this last push. And then once you get to WCW, you are at their I just, mercy. I just don't. I I don't think. I mean, as much as I I, I love the wrestling companies, there's only so much loyalty that that, <laughs> that goes around. And and because Brett chose to go to the, you know, the Man City to the Man United, and when he he draws the WCW, actually, and it's caught uh, on screen. Oh, that wasn't on WWF's tape though. That was on Wrestling with Shadows. WWF cut before that. Did they catch it? No, that what? never went out on screen. The the spit and the WCW and the trash in the monitors, that was all on Wrestling with Shadows. WWF never aired it. They ended with um, Shawn Michaels being taken out of the ring. But, but then then you would be suggesting, this has become quite a big debate. Mm. Um, but then you're suggesting <laughs> that, 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 that maybe like the documentary itself is working with WWF to therefore give them the, give them the footage they need to... I mean, it's quite a lot of work. <laughs> I don't think it is. I don't think it is that much work. I, I like personally. I, you know, it, look, Jim Cornette said it was for real, and he was on the booking committee, so maybe it was for real. But I just think if if you were going to do this, it's the only way to get everybody out without hurting anybody. And plus, you've got to remember that maybe they wouldn't have done Brett the yeah. professional courtesy, but Vince McMahon and Vince McMahon basically had to buy out Stu Hart, right? And he and his concession to Stu was that he gave all his kids jobs, right? So there was a loyalty between Vince and Stu Hart, and also Owen Hart wasn't going anywhere. So yeah. if you you know if you have to you know if you have to try and keep some members of the family happy, 
then you know and plus brett had been a loyal employee who was you know he didn't ask to leave the wwf asked him to leave because they were worried about his contract so maybe as you know because they you know um brett, I don't, brett this signed was, a 20 year deal this was also at a time where wwf wasn't the super mega can do anything can buy everything i mean yeah they still had money but they were on the ropes yeah they were point. but uh, austin was on the way up but there's no gu- there's no guarantee for any of it. <laughs> no, there's no. no there's I mean, I I I, th- I think it was I think it was uh, a double cross. But I think you you bring up some very valid points. My other my other question is why was Vince at ringside? He was uh was he on commentary that night? No, I ha- I have not watched um this for years and years and years. He walked um, to the ring and told the timekeeper to ring the bell before Hebner did. Hebner. Yeah. Had no one like that, but Vince was already calling for the bell. There's, there's that great audio, wasn't there, of him going, "Ring the damn bell! Ring the yeah. damn bell!" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also, right, and and the, so like you know, if they sent Vince to ringside with Sergeant Slaughter, which is you know plausible, but you know why why didn't they just send Slaughter or why didn't they send the, um uh, I don't know someone who could actually hold themselves in a shoot if it came to that? Why did they send Mr. McMahon? You know, and also like Wrestling with Shadows, they had full run of the back. Clearly, they were allowed full run of the back, but they didn't catch the punch, did they? Because it was in the locker room. And Vince McMahon came out for an uppercut with an already bruised eye and doing his working. He did that walk after Austin punched him one time. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, th- I, I think, think that's how he, he walks. <laughs> I don't think it is how he walks. I, I think, it, I think it could have been. I think there is evidence there to suggest that maybe it was a work. I don't know if it was, but I think it, it could have been a work. You know, I love the idea of the purity that is that is real. Yeah, I just and want it, to believe. <laughs> and it, it's just one of those brilliant things, though, isn't it? That I don't think I really want an answer. You know, yeah. I genuinely yeah, don't yeah, want yeah. somebody to come out and say, "Do you know what? This is what really happened." Yeah. Because it's one of those great debates. It's been twenty years, and, and people are still talking about it. And you know, every sort of um, wrestling board you go on, at some point, somebody will bring up the screw job. Yeah. And yeah that's the point isn't it i mean and it shows how invested we were and how invested we still are that we can't even agree whether yeah. we think it was a screw job or not i i i kind of um i lean towards it being and that's only from um i've just finished a book about as i say about um, vince mcmahon called uh, sex lies and headlocks which is really good actually if you've never read it it's worth a read and when you read that you think yeah he, he would do anything to anyone to basically you know mm. protect his empire and he was extremely paranoid about people leaving with the belt you know because he'd, he'd had it done to him before yeah, well and, yeah and, medusa threw it in the trash yeah, yeah. And, he, and, 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 he, and the rivalry with wcw is, is just yeah yeah because er, eric would have used it eric yeah. would have yeah. used it on tv he would have gone on yeah. the next night and said the wwf champion and is going to be here next week that that was his big worry in the whole thing yeah. and i i kind of also think that brett admits that you know the, the point you raised john about you know he could have sued because he had um artistic control but he agreed to be put in the sharpshooter on the understanding he'd get out of it and but he really admits that he should never have done it you know he should never have he should never have agreed to it because it gave him the opportunity and so you know you kind of think well if i thought i was going to get screwed over I, I just wouldn't have done it you know i'd have changed the call in the ring and not done it but I think the biggest time they screwed over Bret Hart is when he got beaten by Yokozuna and Hulk Hogan had to come in and save the day. Yeah, that was ridiculous. That is 
Right, yeah, that was yeah, that, that was cool. And, and the other thing, the other people. And I actually believe that, that was a shoot. <laughs> <laughs> The biggest screw Bret Hart ever did get was when he went to WCW after this, and they made him oh. a guest referee. Yeah. It's like, why would you do that? And then yeah. they crippled him by letting Goldberg give him a super kick. Like, oh. oh. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. But thing is littered with all of these careers that are unfortunately cut short. The dream so matches that... we could have, could have had. So we still don't know. If you were we listening to this, for the, for we never the... will. <laughs> <laughs> we listened to this for the answer. That was a long journey, wasn't it? For nothing. It's on you, you mug. You see the lineup. <laughs> no, good stuff. Maybe one day we'll find out. We'll have to reconvene and discuss our findings. But no, it's, it's great stuff on either side. You had me convinced a bit there, John. I must admit, you did a good job there, mate. Oh, Next time I get a cold, I've been caught. I'll be giving you a shout. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd be pleased to know then that uh, that's the end of our questions. That's the end of our, our show today. So we're just going to do a little bit of a wrap up now i'd like to thank both my guests um i hope that if you have persevered to enjoyed it because i certainly have um would you like to tell us a little bit about um where they can follow you and where they can see your work etc so john do you want to go first yeah sure um if after all this uh you want to hear even more from <laughs> me um <laughs> my uh i'm most active on twitter i'm uh, john tucker art that's john with an h um and there's a link on there to get my uh, critically acclaimed, Damien said it, not me, critically acclaimed uh, Collected Works Anthology, Picture Books for Bad People, uh, which is a 300-page PDF of everything I've done in the past. Uh, that's on Comic House, or you can buy it if you want to do that. And I draw live on Twitch two or three times a week. Uh, Twitch username is John Tucker Art once again, but Twitter is probably the best place to, to find me and to get my Twitch schedule. Thank you. And if you've never read John's work, you really should. Yeah, you very uh, I'm not just saying no, that I think so John's well. like, he, is, he, is, he is genuinely uh, strange. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. There's a pull quote. Vince? Um, yeah, if you, if you want to see um, some of the artwork and nonsense that I do, um, on social media, both Twitter and Instagram, at Jester Diablo. And, uh, yeah, I uh, also host um, the weekly indie comics podcast the awesome comics podcast um if you want to hear more of my voice just ranting into your eardrums for a good couple of hours um yeah so that's good fun and uh if you go if you have instagram or if you check it out then um my sort of daily webcomic black is at b l a k the comic so yeah go to find that there because there's uh, like a new page every day and it's not going to stop anytime soon that's all I'll say. And that's where you can find me. And again, if you've never read Vince's Red Mask from Mars, which is a fantastic, I, I absolutely adored that that series. Cool, mate. And I'm I'm loving Black as well. That's that's really interesting. Yeah, thank you. Doing. Thank really you. Really good. And obviously, I'm I'm sure some of you uh, already listen to Awesome Comics, but a real podcast, not like this shit show. That I've <laughs> oh no, it's been well fun, though. And do because it's 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 a brilliant show. And he's also uh, he's the creator of the upcoming uh, oh what's it called the the park ranger comic Indigo Vince? Park Indigo, Indigo Park, park. which uh, doesn't have, yeah. a, have a website yet but. he he's the edit he's the art director for Space Warp <laughs> he's doing MI when I saw that MI six 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 announcement I was like fucking oh, yeah. hell Vince steady on he's <laughs> like oh I've not been really you know he, he comes on going I've not been really doing much lately have. you can't bear yourself <laughs> sorry. 
Get his ass. It's all right. Oh, God. Um, this has been a shoot. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, we're going to shoot in a minute. Oh. Right. And for me, if you're interested, you can find out a bit more about me at art92.com. The nine and the two are spelt out in letters, not numbers. Um, Twitter and Instagram is again at art92. And remember, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel where H is putting up free drawing tutorials. So you can teach yourselves or your kids to to draw cats, dogs, lions, all sorts of different animals in a step-by-step process. And people have been really enjoying them. So check them out. Um, Again, I'd like to thank John and Vince for giving up their time today to uh, have a good good ramble about the uh, the rumbles, as it were, and go back through some some memory there's, lane walks. There's so it's much been... more we could talk about that it could actually be a podcast on its own, but we'll just. I I, I think we've both been sated, haven't we? We we've you know. I we've think been so. Over... I I did my uh, Donald Sutherland in JFK bit about the <laughs> screw job, so I'm happy. <laughs> and I did my Donald Sutherland in backdraft. Make it that well. And enough of Vince's backdraft. Thank God we're not videoing it. Um, <laughs> so thank you again. Thank you to our guests. Thank you all for listening. And until next time, as the late great Gorilla Monsoon would say, stick a fork in this one. It's done. Will you stop? <laughs>